Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Over the weekend, through leaving my house, there was just a dog roaming the street. This is the press box. Like not in our neighborhood outside. Like four cars pulled over to help this dog, including us. And he just belonged to somebody's house who was outside and had no idea their dog had run out and was in the middle of the street. With Grady and Bischoff. Okay. That's like, an update. On ESPN Las Vegas. Here we go. Ed, Tyler, and Jared running the show. It's a Thursday. And uh, let's see, is there a speaker? No, I don't think so. No? We're still voting. <laughs> still voting? What a, what a mess. It's great. All right. I have, did you see uh, Texas A&M Florida basketball yesterday? Texas A&M, the, ga- the start was delayed because Texas A&M forgot their jerseys at the team hotel. And okay. had to go back and get them. They didn't realize until they're like they're warming up with whatever ten minutes to go before the game starts. Had to go back get the jerseys so the players could play. So they're out there in the compression shirts warming yeah. up. So delayed start. Texas A and M got assessed a technical foul before the game even started. So Florida started that game up one nothing. Texas A and M still came back and won. okay, but uh, should have just made them play without the jerseys. Be like us for getting the laptops in the morning. Yeah, basically. that wouldn't be good. Uh, Buzz Williams, who's the head coach of Texas A and M. He actually, in his post-game press conference, he gave an answer. He's like, it, it's my fault. And then he was like, because I was a student manager once, and I'd like to think my head coaches would have taken the blame if I had done something like that. So he almost took the blame for it and still threw his student managers, student managers under the bus, under the bus. <laughs> for that. And that is not the most noteworthy Texas A&M story of the day. The first bite. Who is worse, Chris Beard or Bobby Petrino? Uh, who is worse? I think Chris Beard because this is what Bobby Petrino does. So because like, Petrino's is, done it so much, we're like, yeah, yeah. this is. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I mean you, when he, they signed him to a multi-year deal, you're hoping he's getting through one, right? So, I mean, Chris Beard, he had not, I think, had the reputation of a jumper. He, I mean, he came to a better job than the one he had, and you thought he was in to stay for a while. But Bobby Petrino, now, I don't think anyone thought 21 days. <laughs> But if you go back through his resume, this is kind of what he does. He jumps jobs all the time. So I don't know if that makes him worse. Jumps or jobs, just, motorcycles, or it you just name makes it. him. It just makes him who he is. It's it was so predictable, yet still it's so funny when it's actually happened. Twenty one days, right? <laughs> it three weeks. That's the offensive. Yeah, genuine question. Was he in Las Vegas? Yeah, Cassie Soto has a film of him. Okay, all right, that's right. Yes, of him ducking in the yeah, in the he was here. football complex. He was here. All right, and he, so, had a, he had a UNLV shirt on. So we know that he actually arrived. Maybe at he some just point. needed some new swag. And he had, yeah, he, he got <laughs> he some gear, some shirts. Missouri State wasn't giving him enough free polos and khakis or whatever. So he went and got some shirts. <laughs> it is hilarious that Bobby Petrino doesn't even make it to the signing day in February as UNLV's offensive coordinator uh, because he's taking the, if you missed it, he's taking the offensive coordinator job at Texas A&M. He was hired here at UNLV on December 15th. And yesterday reports are that Texas A&M is hiring him to be their offensive coordinator. Um, All right. How do you recruit with this guy? Literally you, uh, if you're recruiting against him, all you have to do is, well, he's not going to be there. (laughs) 
Well, he might be at A&M if he somehow gets Jimbo Fisher removed. Well, that's the other thing. He, uh, We were saying yesterday he was going for the OC job, but the way Jimbo Fisher's on the hot seat, if they suddenly have a great offense this year, that guy could be the coach at Texas A&M yeah. next year. So here's a question for you. Do you think that Bobby Petrino used UNLV simply as leverage against Texas A&M? Stocking horse. Because Bobby Petrino took a small pay cut to go from the Missouri State head coach to the UNLV offensive coordinator. And before he took the UNLV job, there were reports that he was interviewing or talking to Jimbo Fisher about becoming the next Texas A&M offensive coordinator. And when UNLV hired him, there were a lot of Texas A&M fans who were like, wait a minute. I don't know if I wanted Bobby Petrino, but we lost a guy to UNLV. What's going on there? And then three weeks later, he's taking the job at Texas A&M. Did he use UNLV as a way to get A&M to pay him more money? I don't think that's a crazy assumption. Um, Adam Hill was talking about this yesterday out at the Raiders facility in that could he could Texas A&M have done this as well, where you... No one knew what the response would be when Bobby Petrino went back to the FCS, right? You know, how much grief would you take? How much, what a hard time you would take in terms of, uh, uh, you know, reaction. It was timid here. You know, they, they, it was the typical, you're going to put the pictures out there of him after the motorcycle accident. You're going to mention it in a few stories. But I didn't think it was overwhelmingly, you know, harsh. In fact, a lot of people, and I wrote that, if he stayed away from the nonsense, he was a really good hire because of his offensive brilliance. I mean, I, th- I thought, my gosh, I mean, they got one of the best offensive coaches in the country. Now just stay away from the non-football stuff. So Adam's contention was, was this also a Texas A&M thing waiting to see? Now they can say, well, it's already been out there with UNLV. He's back in the FCS. Now no one's going to give us a hard time for hiring the guy. Except they still are. Well, they're giving Bobby Petrino a hard time. Like you've made it worse on Bobby Petrino if that was the Well, plan. I don't know if they care about that. They just want to <laughs> not make it worse on themselves. It's just it's bizarre that you would have a coach who's who's currently a head coach, granted at the lower level, but currently a head coach at Missouri State, who the two job offers that apparently he was looking at were both offensive coordinators. One was UNLV and one was Texas AM. Like he was gonna make three hundred thousand dollars. That was that's what his salary that was. His salary was, was here. He's probably gonna make a million dollars easily triple that at A and M. So it's like they're not a, not in the same stratosphere. No. Like it's not even close. No. And so it's just weird that oh they got Petrino who had been talking to Texas A and M about the same job, and then for him three weeks later to say oh yeah well I'm gonna take that job anyways. I don't know. It definitely feels like there might have been I ah, and offered him $750,000 a year. And he was like, I want a million. And if you don't pay me a million, I'm just going to go take this UNLV job. And then if you really want me, you're going to have to pay me a million dollars or whatever his salary ends up being. It's just, God, it's a bizarre scenario. So my other question for you, how much criticism does Barry Odom deserve for the Bobby Petrino hire? See, I don't, I don't think he. I don't think he deserves any. I, I give no. the guy credit for for hiring him. I give the guy credit for like swinging for the fences and trying to get the, one of the best offensive coaches in the country. I don't. I don't. I'm gonna criticize him for it. This is on. This is on Bobby Petrino. To me, this entire situation is on Bobby Petrino. Whether he did what you say, and he took the job just as a way to get to Texas A&M for more money, or he just typically was Bobby Petrino and jumped and you know uh, went for the next best thing, but. Barry, you know, to me, Barry Odom swung for the fence. I, I'm not going to criticize Barry Odom. 
I think he deserves a fair bit of criticism. See, this I morning. don't think that. UNLV is now attached to a story with negative connotations. And most of it's about Bobby Petrino, but UNLV is now attached to a negative story. Why? Because Barry Odom hired a guy with a questionable past, with a past of this, of leaving programs, leaving teams way too quickly. And they took a chance on that, and it blew up before they even got to signing day on it. Here's the key. See, though. that's why I think it's on Bobby Petrino. Here, well, it is, but UNLV's still attached to it. Somebody had to hire him here. But here's the key. Does UNLV have a good offense next year? If he goes I out mean, and makes a good hire on his next offensive, offensive coordinator, coordinator, and they have a good offense next year, we'll look back and laugh at Bobby Petrino. If Barry Odom goes out and hires an offensive coordinator and they're bad, like they're the lowest scoring team in the Mountain West or something like that, this looks bad on Barry Odom because th- this is the most important coaching hire he's going to make. As a defensive first head coach, the most important position on his staff is his offensive coordinator. And he took a shot at Bobby Petrino and it blew up in his face. It's now January 5th and he doesn't have an offensive coordinator. If he makes a good hire and they're good offensively next year, even if they're just average offensively, honestly, then all right, we'll laugh at Bobby Petrino. If, hey, it's late in the game and you're UNLV and you're not that attractive of a job anyways and you lost out on a couple of candidates you thought you were going to, you could have gotten if you hadn't hired Petrino and your offense sucks next year, it's on Bobby, it's yeah, on Barry I don't, I, I'm, I'm just going to, I think he went for it. I had no problem him going for it. Yeah, he hired a guy who jumped. I mean, even Barry Odom, n- none of us, no, no one sat here and said he's gone in 21 days. I mean, like I said, he could have gone after a year. I don't, I think you, I don't even, it was 300,000 a year. Was it a three or five year contract? I don't remember what the contract was. They didn't give us the year. They didn't detail. give us the year. They yeah. just gave us the annual salary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even Barry Odom, no, <laughs> I guess Bobby Odom, excuse me, Bobby Petrino is the only one who could have predicted this because he probably knew all along he was going <laughs> to jump after 21 days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so at, we'll at see. Point, we'll see. We'll see if he. We'll see who he hires next. I, you know, like you said, Bobby Petrino is out there. I'm not going to tell you. I know every great offensive coordinator in college or who he could get. I have. I have no idea. We'll see who he hires and what his resume is. I mean, I know a guy who's out of a job who used to be an offensive coordinator at uh, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting paid too much, so he wouldn't take the pay cut. <laughs> Except uh, his offenses weren't really that good. Yeah, they were. They were. They weren't. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very uh, funny situation for UNLV football to have hired Bobby Petrino and only get three weeks of work. I know uh, Steve Cofield was tweeting yesterday about the Missouri State quarterback uh, or the the player that at one point was committed to right. Missouri State and is now was then committed to UNLV. And likely was all because of Bobby Petrino. And sure. now it's a matter of what happens next. Um, so yeah, I, I am curious, like Jared said, recruiting wise, how much did Bobby Petrino do in his three weeks? Because it's not well, a there very were some, long time. There were but, some commitments that tagged him. Right. So I am curious. Also, the other one, you remember the Doug Brumfield picture? Doug Brumfield took with a picture Bobby with Petrino. Bobby Petrino. And, and it was like, was yeah. it a fan? Uh, I don't remember. There was a third person was. in the picture. I don't know who it was either. But like I, I am curious. Not that I think Doug Brumfield's darting for the portal now, but I am curious, like how much these last three weeks it was like. Yeah, here's our offensive coordinator. Here's what we're gonna run, and he's gone to Texas A&M, and now we don't know who the offensive right. coordinator is. I wonder if that matters a whole lot. It might not matter if Doug Brumfield knows he's gonna be the starting quarterback, uh, but we'll see. Also, on starting quarterback, there is a quarterback in the transfer portal from Arkansas. 
I don't think he played a whole lot last year, but UNLV might land a quarterback in the transfer portal from Arkansas that would be, you know, following Barry Odom out here, uh, kind of like Bobby Petrino did, and then see where he goes from there. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some Golden Knights because Jack Eichel might be back tonight. Knights into the zone. Stevenson bumped as he came across the line with a puck. Stone a drop back. Hate shoots and scores! Mike Amadio buzzing through the crease, got a piece, and the Knights tie at 1-1. What a sequence with three minutes to go in the first period. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. The Golden Knights are back in action tonight. They host the Pittsburgh Penguins. We are going to have tickets later in the show for the Golden Knights game on Saturday, January 14th against the Edmonton Oilers. So stay tuned for that. Yesterday, Bruce Cassidy called Jack Eichel a game time decision for tonight. He was at practice. He skated on a line. Jack Eichel coming back tonight. Yeah, I think he is. He was in a regular jersey. It wasn't in a non-contact jersey. It was in one of those white jerseys. Interesting where they put these lines yesterday. Oh. They're, they're obviously trying to get that third line a little better than it's been. This is so Ben Goats at uh, Golden Knights practice tweeted out the lines they had. Your first line, Michael Amadio, Chandler Scorer. Stevenson, and Mark Stone. Okay, this is, they got one good guy in that line, the scorer. Your second line, <laughs> Paul Cotter, William Carlson, and Phil Kessel. Your third line, Riley Smith, Jack Eichel, and Nick Waugh. And your fourth line, Will Carrier, Jake Lashizen, and Keegan Colasar. Um, what's your biggest takeaway? If, if those are the lines we see tonight, which I would guess they are since they use them in practice, what's your biggest takeaway from that breakdown? That they're trying to get the third line competent? <laughs> that they're trying to get the third line to do something? Uh, and they want, you know... Centers down, down the down the road in terms of Steven Scarlett. They want three good centers in the top three lines. So, yeah, I mean, I and we don't know how hurt Eichel continues to be. I mean, if he's back, maybe they want to see how he is in terms of his 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 health. I mean, this morning's probably interesting because if we if we think we know what it is is a lower body injury, and what Kelly McCrimmon said is we don't want this to linger, uh, which kind of tells you wasn't like some knee injury. It was maybe something else that you pull and. Uh, it can linger if you if you come back too soon. Um, I guess there's a chance they want him down there playing a third line, less minutes to see how he is. But, yeah, I mean, I think we've talked in depth about this third line and how bad it's been. Maybe he's trying to maybe he's trying to prop it up here with Riley Smith and Jack Eichel. So leaving Amadio on the top line, there's a well, couple of different uh, factors that. One, I think there is somewhat of a reward going on there because he's been scoring so much. Uh, but also, it breaks the talent up. And right. when the Golden Knights have been healthy, Bruce Cassidy has loaded up his top two lines. He has put his six best forwards on his top two lines. Now, they haven't been healthy for a while, so they haven't had their six best forwards. Uh, and they still won't, even if Eichel comes back, because Jonathan Marsh, so Cassidy's already ruled him out for tonight's game. But this is evidence of breaking the talent up and spreading it through the lineup because the biggest problem, even when they were winning was that the third line was unplayable, that they would get into close games and the third line just could not see the ice. This breakdown gives you the potential to play your top four lines, top three, or maybe all four of them close to even 
Now, what I'd be curious to see, if these are in fact the lines and we get into a tie game or a one-goal game in the third period, he, I have to assume he starts changing the lines up because we've seen Phil Kessel benched. We've seen we've seen Michael Amadio benched late in games when they're protecting a lead. I have to imagine he would bump you know Smith and Eichel up to take Kessel or Amadio's spots on those top two lines if they're late in games, which is perfectly fine. You should be doing that. Uh, but this definitely screams of Cassidy looking for a third line that he knows he can put on the ice. Is Carlson the most upset about all of this? Because he's playing with Phil Kessel and Paul Cotter. Yes, yes. <laughs> he's like, what happened? Where'd that Riley guy go? <laughs> yeah, and that's... So I think, actually, if you looked at these lines, and like we said, maybe you're easing Eichel back in and there's less minutes because it's his first game back, but Cotter, Carlson, Kessel, that's your third line. Smith, right. Eichel, and Wah is a significantly it's just, it's, better line. Yeah, it's a better line. So if they're if Eichel's full go and these are the lines, I have to imagine Smith, Eichel, Wah plays more minutes than Cotter, Carlson, right. Kessel. And so, yeah, I mean, William Carlson is the loser of these line changes here. Um, the, yeah. other, the other question I have, Jonathan Marcheseau is apparently close, could return uh, for Saturday's game. What happens when oh. he comes back? Well, you can't bench Kessel. You can't? Are you sure? Well, we've time and time again, you've called out for it and it hasn't happened yet. But the other thing you said often is, let's see what happens when everyone comes back healthy. So, Marshall comes back. You have to put him somewhere. I would put him ahead of Cotter. So, that Carlson line, if that's it. Cotter, Carlson, Excuse me, I'd Kessel. have put him ahead of Kessel. My bad. Technically... Cotter is in Jonathan Marcheseau's left wing right, spot. left wing spot. So you could relatively easily bring Marcheseau in for Cotter and then take Cotter out of the lineup. Or maybe you move Cotter down to the fourth line or wherever you want to put him. But just take Cotter off that second line and you go Marcheseau, Carlson, and Castle. I don't know that that combination makes the most sense. I think Riley Smith makes more sense if you're going to have Kessel on one of the top two lines than Jonathan Marcheseau. Uh, but that is a possibility there. However, I think you can make a pretty easy argument that Michael Amadio and Paul Cotter deserve to be in the lineup over Phil Kessel. I think that's an easy argument. Like you just said, I don't. I think the production of both stands alone. And comparative then, to Phil Kessel. So if we if if Jonathan Marcheseau comes back on Saturday, and let's assume Michael plays tonight, if they're both back on Saturday, and nobody else gets hurt in the meantime, if they're both back on Saturday, and Phil Kessel's in the lineup, I think it's fair to say that Bruce Cassidy is not giving his team the best chance to win with the lineup. I mean, I. I agree with you because everything we've said about Kessel, but I still am shocked that he hasn't been taken out yet, and we're we have gone over why the reasons would be. Does he want to be the one to stop the streak? I think that's I think that should be dead and buried by now. I think that if that's the reason, right? If that's the reason that that is that should be dead and buried. That should have no implication whatsoever in what he does with Phil Kessel anymore. He got the streak; it's over. Play who is best in terms of giving you the best chance to win the hockey game. The whole point of an Ironman streak being impressive is it's two parts. One, it's one, you're you're always healthy, right? Which is what Phil Kessel has been best at, at least recently. And the other part is that you're good enough to be in the lineup. Like like those like those are two things. 
An Ironman streak is about being healthy and about being good enough to be in the lineup for that many games. Phil Kessel is no longer good enough to be in the lineup for the Golden Knights. And so the the Ironman streak, at this point, you're just adding up games that aren't actually meaningful for the streak because he's not actually good enough to be in there. This is just stat padding. What is a record that, I don't know, maybe it won't be broken, but might end up being broken anyway. It's like you're just stat padding for a guy who's not actually good enough to be in these lineups, which defeats the whole purpose of what an Ironman streak is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about, oh, you're good and healthy enough to keep playing all of these games, and he's not anymore. He's simply not good enough to keep doing this if the Golden Knights get their health back, if they get their forwards back, which it appears as though they're getting Eichel and Marshall back very, very soon. So well, don't take our guy Amadio out. All he does is score. Don't take that guy out. Oh, you know He's our guy. Ed, you know what's going to be amazing? You remember the Brandon Peary video? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> when Brandon Peary, I don't remember the exact numbers, but he had like seven goals in 10 yes. games. And everyone thought, oh my God, he's the second coming. We got Brandon Peary. And then the Golden Knights sent him to the AHL because he was still waiver exempt. They had to release him. And they had Gary Lawless talk to Kelly McCrimmon on like a three, four minute video. To Outside ex- the arena, I to believe. To explain. Yes. Okay, we know we sent down the guy who can't stop scoring, but he's going to be back, I promise, guys. Like, tried to explain the move. Like, ah, he's waiver exempt, and it helps our roster flexibility. God, we might be close to a Michael Amadio video. <laughs> like, we might not be far away if he keeps scoring and they get completely healthy. And like, ah. Those two standing outside Timo Blarina explaining it. Well, Phil Kessel has played 1,026 straight games, and we know he's not any good, but we don't want to break that streak. So Michael Amadio and his seven goals in the last nine games is going to have to be sent to the AHL. Does anyone else find it strange that this organization... This organization is like, we got to do right by Phil Kessel. <laughs> like, they, tr- I'm pretty sure they've traded somebody via post-it note. Have we considered that Phil Kessel has just avoided elevators? <laughs> they can't give him the bad news right. if he's not in an elevator. He doesn't stay on the ice after practice very long to get the, to get traded while he's on the ice. He's, he's very smart with where he is in the facility. Is his agent Alan Walsh? Probably not. Oh, I, I think they are done getting Alan Walsh yes, players until they... the front office changes. Yes. There will not be another Alan Walsh client on this team. All right, coming up next, Q joins the show to break down the Las Vegas Raiders. I came here, you know, I wouldn't have been here or ended up here um, originally probably, you know, if Derek wasn't here. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I won't be here, you know, in, in the event that he's not here. Um, he's my, that's, that's my boy. Obviously, I got his back through anything. I think I've made that more than clear at this point, and, and I support him and support everything that he has, um, you know, moving forward as well. But, you know, my, my dream was to play for this team before he was a Raider, obviously. And at this point, I want to, you know, obviously try to make this thing work and, and, and continue on doing what I'm doing here and, you know, myself get better and obviously see the team grow and get better as well. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now, Q Myers. You can hear him over on Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio from 2 to 5 every day. Um, Q, you heard part of Devontae Adams talking there. He talked yesterday a lot about staying with the Raiders. Do you believe he wants to come back to the Raiders, no questions asked? Or do you think he actually is going to say, hey, what exactly is the plan? Who's my quarterback? And that there is a chance he might ask out of Las Vegas anyway. 
Yeah, I think there's no doubt that he's going to ask, you know, what the plan is, who's the quarterback, and have his input and have his say, right? I mean, he left Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers because there was uncertainty there. That was part of the reason why he left Green Bay. So, yeah, I definitely believe there's there's some input that he wants to give, and I think that the Raiders owe him that. I mean, I really do. Uh, he, he's a hell of a player. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. And why not get some input from him? I mean, I, I don't see a rookie being under center next year throwing the ball to Devontae Adams. I do believe he'll be a veteran. I don't know who it is or somebody that he's comfortable with, right? I mean, obviously we have the regular uh, names that are being floated out there, but uh, whoever he's comfortable with is is who should be under center because he's the best wide receiver that they have and have had in a very long time. So, yeah, if he's supposed to be part of the plan moving forward, which I do think he is, then, yeah, he should have some input in who the next quarterback is. Uh Review Journal today, Vinny Bonsignore from the Review Journal and also Raider Nation Radio. The t- headline is Raiders target Tom Brady. What are your thoughts? I, I don't doubt that at all. I think that he's a guy that, one, makes a lot of sense, even though uh, somehow he's still defying father time. I mean, he's still playing at a high level. He knows Josh McDaniel's system. And Tom Brady, the thing about him, he makes everyone elevate their game. I mean, he makes the janitor in Tampa Bay a better janitor, right? I mean, he makes everyone around him better. Now, they're not a very good team this year. I think some of that has to do with the guy on the sideline, Todd Bowles, when I sold as him as the head coach. I think losing Bruce Arians to upstairs is a big deal. Um, but I, I, I can see that uh, making, a, making a lot of sense. You know, Tom Brady, a year or two with uh, Tom Brady, uh, with the Raiders, and then whoever they draft and have developed behind Tom. Uh, and then at that point, maybe Devontae Adams, maybe that's, you know, a wrap on, on his Raider career once Tom's gone, or maybe whoever the guy after that is comfortable. But but Devontae will be a few more years older than then. So um, I think it's all about the, the present right now for the Raiders. I think in 2023, they have to win games. Uh, you know, Ed, it's not one of those where you get four or five years to build this thing up. I mean, you don't have that time, right? You've got to win, especially here in Vegas. There's too much to do. If uh, your team's not winning, there's, there's things that other people will do. There was 440,000-plus people here over New Year's Eve, and they weren't there just for the Raiders and 49ers. So there's too many options here to have a loser playing in the league stadium. Just can't have it. It's obvious why the Raiders would want a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers. Do you think the Raiders are attractive to those quarterbacks? Like, would either one of them look at the Raiders and say, I can win a Super Bowl late in my career there? I think Tom would. I'm not sure about Aaron Rodgers because, I mean, does anyone have any idea what Aaron Rodgers is ever thinking? I mean, I, I, I could not tell you what Aaron Rodgers is thinking, but I think Tom would be interested because of Vegas, because of his relationship with Dana White. You see he's already had a relationship with Mark Davis. Um, obviously, Allegiant Stadium is awesome. The facilities is awesome. Uh, and if the Raiders said, hey, we will build up the offensive line and we'll definitely make sure that there's a good defense in place, uh, you can come here and win with the weapons you have, Darren Waller, uh, Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams. Yeah, I think that'd be definitely a big attraction to Tom Brady, a lot better than what's going on in Tampa Bay. But they have to make sure that they dedicate to fixing that offensive line and, and getting building it up more than it is right now. Do you think, because it's after those first three, I, I assume there's some risks out there, and unless they make a trade, they're not getting up to the top three or those three those right. three quarterbacks. I mean, do you think is is you think it's their plan to draft a quarterback in the second or third round to maybe take a risk on someone? I do. I think that they're definitely going to draft somebody in in this upcoming draft, and I'm not too sure who that is. I mean, selfishly, I'd love for them to be able to have an opportunity to get Caleb Williams next year, but, you know, that means that they're picking probably with number one or number two overall, right? So uh, I don't think they can afford to do that, Uh, but I like Caleb Williams so much. I think he's going to be the truth. But, yeah, I I think that there's some guys 
um, like an Anthony Richardson who's going to drop. There's some guys, you know, maybe a DTR out of UCLA that are going to be, matter of fact, playing in the Shrine Bowl at Allegiant Stadium so they can get up close and personal look at him. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a guy or two that they really have their eye on that they can let sit behind whoever that veteran is that comes in. And, hell, you never know what they're going to do with Stidham, right? I mean, he's got he's got a, another game to prove who he could be. Maybe they bring him back and let him sit behind Tom or whoever the veteran is for a year or two and then give him the chance. I, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different options, but whoever it is, I think the young guy is going to sit behind a veteran this upcoming year. How realistic is the Jarrett Stidham option? It would be, let's say he plays well against Kansas City again. It's only mm-hmm. a two-game sample size. Like, how right. realistic is it that he has even even just a shot at a competition to be the starting quarterback next season? I think it's tough, Tyler. I really do. And it's because of what you said, that two-game sample size. Raider Nation, I mean, on Raider Nation Radio, you know, 920, everyone is, oh, my gosh, Jarrett Stidham is the end-all, be-all. I was like, man, pump the brakes. There's been a lot of quarterbacks that have had good games. There's been a lot of quarterbacks that have had multiple good games. you got to think about the long term. But they, they swear he's, you know, the next coming of Christ. So we'll see. Um, I think that there's a reason why Josh McDaniels traded for him. I do believe that. Uh, he could be a great backup, and that's not a bad job in the NFL. I know he wants to be a starter. He's been training to be a starter since he was in high school back in Stephenville, Texas, and then went to Baylor and then Auburn, and now, uh, you know, here with the Raiders. So uh, I know what he wants to do. I just don't know if that's him because he's also had an injury history that nobody's really thinking about and talking about right now. He's been banged up quite a bit, and he even in, uh, ended up on the injury report this, uh, this earlier this week, and, and we saw the way that he played on Sunday. So he's a little reckless at times, so – He's got to be able to protect his body. I think that if they bring him back, he's definitely, you know, backup quarterback number one. And maybe they'll say that this is a competition. But if you bring in Tom Brady, there ain't no competition between Jared Stidham and Tom Brady. TB12, and that's it. There's no questions asked. Uh, foregone conclusion, they'll either tag, tag Jacobs or sign him? Yeah, absolutely. I have no doubt that Josh Jacobs will be back in, in 2023. I just The question I have with him is what number is he going to be wearing? Is it going to be 28? Is it going to be 8? Is it going to be other? Uh, but I do believe that he'll be back. And I think that they've already let that be known to him, right? I mean, just the way that he's been talking with us, Ed, and we're, when we're in the locker room and after games, he just he just seems to have a, a kind of a comfort level where he knows that he's about to get a nice little contract, uh, a bump in pay, and uh, be with the Ravens for, uh, for at least a couple more years. Q from Raider Nation Radio with us. So here's a very important question for you. Right now, the Raiders uh, would pick eighth in the NFL draft. If they lose this weekend, I think they can get as high as sixth. If they win, they could fall outside of the top ten. Playing the Kansas City Chiefs, should Raiders fans be cheering for a win or a loss this weekend? Man, that's tough because it's the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And they have so much riding on this game. I mean, Kansas City wins it. Of course, we still don't know what's going to go on with the Buffalo and and Bengals game, what the result of that's going to be, but... They win this game, there's a great chance that they're going to be the number one seed. And I know that the Raiders would love to spoil that and not allow them to be the number one seed. So uh, I never root for a a loss. So I'm just going to say the Raider Nation needs to uh, root for a win and and want to kind of ruin Kansas City's number one one seed dreams. Uh, Because, again, what's the difference between, you know, seven and and 11 or whatever, especially when it comes to the Raiders, they haven't had a proven history of knocking the draft out of the park. So, I mean, they've they've got to prove that before the picks become that valuable, in my opinion. You're right. It doesn't matter if they pick 7th or 11th. Whoever gets drafted right after their pick is going to go to the Hall of Fame. (laughs) We'll be a Hall of Famer. It's guaranteed. It's already set in stone. (laughs) Well, he is Q Myers again. You can hear him over on Raider Nation Radio from 2 to 5 on Unnecessary Roughness. Are you doing any other shows today that we need to be aware of? 
Not today, okay. but I'll be uh, filling in on Freddie and Fitzsimmons tomorrow evening on ESPN uh, Radio. So there you go. So you can hear that 6 to 10 Pacific time. All right. <laughs> Q, as always, we appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Q. Hey, thanks. Appreciate, appreciate it. Job. So there's Q Myers again, 2 to 5 on Raider Nation Radio every day. Uh, Jared is whispering something to me, but Keep I keep saying 920. I, oh, Raider Nation Radio 920. I apologize. I could not read your lips at all. Okay. No, nothing was doing for me. You got to give him the lips. station. Otherwise, yeah, you're yeah, just. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm bad about that. You have to that. keep asking Q that. He, he's he's on a lot of stations, Q. He's, he's a lot of shows. <laughs> he works harder than anyone. He's on more shows Other than, than Jared. anybody. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I made the mistake last year going to the Super Bowl with him. Not a fun week. All right, coming up next, the greatest soccer parent story in the world is actually true. This sports update is brought to you by the East-West Shrine Bowl football game. Come check out the East-West Shrine Bowl football game on February 2nd at Allegiant Stadium. Go to ShrineBowl.com for more info. Fair catch, rebound for Oladipo, out to Tyler for three. He rattled the rim, and it went in over the top of Schroeder. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Yesterday, we told you about the U.S. soccer drama involving Greg Berhalter, the manager of the U.S. soccer team, and his claim that he was being blackmailed by somebody who was trying to make public that he kicked his now wife back in 1991. The rumor that we talked about yesterday was that Gio Reyna, who is, uh, was a player on the U.S. team during the World Cup, did not play very much. Uh, it was reported that Gio Reyna didn't try very hard in practice uh, during the World Cup and was almost sent home. The rumor was that his parents are the ones that tried to blackmail Greg Berhalter. And yesterday... They admitted to being the ones yes! that We're tried to blackmail yes, Greg yes, Berhalter. Yes, yes. So, so amazing. To, to give you what I believe is an accurate timeline here, Greg Berhalter told Gio Reyna before the World Cup started. They're in Qatar, but before the World Cup started, basically some of the effect of, hey, you're not going to start. You're going to come off the bench, and that's going to be your role for the most part. And Gio Reyna, upon learning that, started basically not trying in practice after Uh, calling his mom, (laughs) not trying in practice. And it got to a point where uh, they almost sent Gio Reyna home. He had multiple meetings with coaches and I believe with his teammates, he ultimately got up in front of his teammates during a team meeting and apologized for the way he had been acting. That happens at the world cup. They come home. Uh, Greg Berhalter was at some sort of conference about leadership. Mm Mm-hmm and told a story about, hey, we almost sent a guy home from the World Cup, and this is how we handled it. He never named Gio Reyna, but it very quickly was uh, figured out and reported that it was Gio Reyna that he is the player he was talking about. And that is when Danielle Reyna, the mother of Gio Reyna, says that she got very upset with Greg Berhalter and decided to go to Greg Berhalter's boss with U.S. Soccer and say, hey... Back in 1991, he kicked his now wife. And now she is claiming, because she put out a statement yesterday. Uh, I'll read read some of it, because there's a lot of good parts of here. Danielle Reyna said, 
I thought it was especially unfair that Gio, who had apologized for acting immaturely about his playing time, was still being dragged through the mud when Greg had asked for and received forgiveness for doing something so much worse at the same age. Well, and also, let me ask you this. Didn't Gio uh, respond by saying that it was supposed to be kept inside the locker room? He, did, he put out a statement. He saying, put out a statement saying... I, he's like, I apologize, all yeah, that, but... But this was supposed to, to stay inside the locker room, and he went to this leadership conference and pretty much th- threw me under the bus. Danielle Reyna said that Greg had asked for and received forgiveness for doing something so much worse when he was a teenager. Danielle Reyna saw her son act like a baby when told he wasn't going to play very much. And her reaction was, well, I should compare that to domestic violence. What? Why on earth would you ever compare something your kid did to domestic violence? Yeah. And then here's more from her statement. And this is the one that blows me away the most. It, this is Danielle Reyna talking. It took me a long time. To forgive and accept Greg afterward. She's talking about when Greg kicked his now wife. Right. Who was a teammate of hers in North Carolina. These are family friends. But I worked hard to give him grace and ultimately made both of them and their kids a huge part of my family's life. Not anymore. I would have wanted and expected him to give the same grace to Gio. This is why the current situation is so very hurtful and hard. Danielle so, Reyna might be the worst friend I yeah. have ever heard of. So her kid's lazy, doesn't do what he's supposed to do, and she's now going to go back to 1991 and try to take this guy down and say the same grace comparative to what he did in 1991 and that she showed him grace by forgiving him. But because my kid's lazy, I'm going to bring this up. These are family friends. The the fathers yes, not father played the fathers with played together yeah, in high played school together in the World Cup and for the U.S. Men's National Team. The mothers played college soccer together. These are family friends, and Danielle Reyna thought her son not trying very hard and then getting called out on it was unfair. So Danielle Reyna took what I assume is the most traumatic event of her best friend's life. And said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use that as blackmail against your husband. It might have been 30 years ago. You might be completely over it by now. You've obviously married the man and been married to him for 25 years. But I'm dragging that out into the public. I'm going to try to get your husband fired and not care at all how you feel about me using your traumatic event as a weapon to defend my son. That is the worst friend I've ever heard of. No Christmas cards this year. I've never heard of somebody no exchanges. treat a friend worse than that. That is unbelievable. And then the other caveat here, I don't know how much Gio Reyna was involved in all of this. I don't know if Gio Reyna was like, I hate this guy, do whatever you can. Or if Gio Reyna's just like, Mom, you, you were doing, what, did what did you, did you do? do? But she's one of the worst mothers I've ever heard of, too. Because... Where where does this get her son? Oh, where does it get him on that team? Absolutely yeah, exactly. nowhere. No. And 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 you're the teammates of that kid? And, and you're this, like, what's mom doing? It may not matter for his uh professional career, right? He plays for Dortmund or whatever. There's gonna be teams that are gonna take him on. 
But it's certainly not going to help. There might be a team somewhere along the line that's like, oh, we'd love to have Gio Reyna, but his parents are insane, and we don't want that. The, the funniest part of this whole thing to me, Danielle Reyna and Claudio Reyna, the parents of Gio Reyna, their thought process, their entire goal here was to try to make Greg Berhalter look bad. Right, exactly. And at the end of the day, they're the ones who look they bad. They look atrocious. They look horrible. They right. look like horrific yeah. friends and parents. It is unreal how badly this flipped on them to where they managed to be the bad guys when somebody what? else has a domestic violence situation. What was the answer from the father? Uh, Cla- I don't think Claudia Reyna said anything. He didn't come out with a oh. statement either. No, it was just it was just Danielle Reyna that said something. He probably texted Berhalter, yo, man, this is all my Sorry, wife. brother, this <laughs> is her. Well, so the reporting from ESPN is that Claudio Reyna was texting the president of U.S. soccer, who's a head of Berhalter, complaining about Gio Reyna's playing time during the World Cup. Now, the Reynas have denied that they... We're trying to blackmail the team during the World Cup. Right. They're like, we didn't tell them that. We waited until after the World Cup was over. But I don't believe them. Un- it's unbelievable. You have two family friends who have now, they all, they everybody looks bad except for like Roz Berhalter, Greg Berhalter's wife. She's just been re-victimized again. I feel better about some of my friends.